Oh, with the longest Korean name. What the heck? We should state that just for funny reasons. Park ha no byo nim go rum hot nimbo da Seventeen syllable long name, meaning more beautiful than the star, the sun, the moon, and the cloud in the sky. You're listening to The John Chi Show, hosted by three Korean-American adoptees diving headfirst into what it means to be adopted, Korean, American, and more. And now, here's your hosts, Nathan, Patrick, and KJ. Welcome back to The John Chi Show. I am your host, Nathan, along with my co-hosts, KJ and Patrick. Yahoo Patrick. <laughs> okay. I'm never going to live that way. Say hi, guys. Other news publications interview me so I can have different labels, please. And We're hello, have all kinds hello. of names. No, I'm for still going to call you Patrick. Yeah, Yahoo Patrick. We got, I mean, we talked about it last time. We got Kang the Fang. We got, we, you know, we have our names. That's okay. But we are the John Chi Show. We are three Korean adoptees who have never met, and we're having a good time talking about all kinds of things, including what does John Chi mean? KJ? John Chi is a Korean word uh, that we translate as to celebrate or to feast, and we do both on the show. We are here to celebrate our Korean, American, adopted identities, and more, because uh, we believe in intersectionality and the power that diversity brings. And also, uh, we're here because we usually eat food, because the three of us love eating food. Mm. There's no better way to build community. That's not necessarily true, but there's no better way that we can think of being a remote podcast to build community than to eat foods together, which mostly just means at the same time for your listening pleasure. And that's a part of Korean culture, too, is where they all feast together. I mean, It's called mukbangs. Yeah. (laughs) Mukbang. Well, that's on audio. Mukbang. Mukbang. Mukbang? I think that's right. We'll We're get into it later. There's a lot of YouTube yeah. on it. Go Google it. <laughs> well, it's really nice to be back. This is episode 34 we established in a previous canon. Um, well, and we hope so. We think. We think, <laughs> listener. Please correct us. If you correct us, you'll get a special gift. We will mail it to you, but you have to sign up uh, on our email list. Um, <laughs> wait, do we have an email list? We will. We will. We, will. Uh, we, we have really some s- things. <laughs> we have do have some things. We'll talk about that later, too. Um, we have a really great show today. Uh, special guest Zach Lubin joins us. Um, really great conversation that we have lined up with him. Somebody who's listened to every episode we found out. So that was really fun information yeah. to find out because it shows that people have listened to us from start to finish. Which At is, least one person. Which is really raise affirming. Your hand. Who else has done it? <laughs> yeah, because I don't think that, uh, yeah, if you could just, uh, whatever you're doing, just raise your hand right now if you have listened <laughs> to every episode. Um, Mom, put your hand down as I don't think that you have yet. Maybe she has. I don't know. My mom says she has, but maybe not. All right. Actually, I know, I know she will because I said that. Up. I said that, and she's going to be like, I listen to every one of your shows. That's what she's going to say. <laughs> I can already see the text message and hear it through her voice. Um, however, before we get into our interview with Zach, um, we want to pick up where we left off last time at the beginning of the show. We were talking about Korean names, um, and I had derailed us a little bit by having self-discoveries with my paperwork. Yeah, how but dare I, you live your life, Patrick? Yeah, <laughs> bring in your topics of conversation. <laughs> but I've put the paperwork away. It's not about me. It's about us. And it's about learning about Korean names. So we want to get back into it. Where do we leave off? 
Do you guys remember? We, <laughs> we left off like basically after the first paragraph. Uh, oh, right. From the book. We should probably mention yeah, the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're talking from the Korean Culture Dictionary, written and compiled by Woo Sung Kang, edited by Edward Leary. Uh, this was a gift given to us by Big Brother Nathan for Lunar New Year. Chincha, kamsamnida. Kamsamnida. Um, so yeah, so this is talking about Korean names last time. Well, last time before this, we talked about the flag. So we're literally in section two. Um, and yeah, we talked about how we used our Korean names, how we had interacted with that. But I think that there's, there's just a lot that goes into it. Um, as many know, maybe you don't know, uh, Korean names are usually made of three syllables. I do know some people whose names only have two syllables. There is a family name or surname, and then your, uh, first name they don't really do middle names um so your first name is usually uh two extra syllables and so typically yeah. they say the family name first yep um which is something interesting to me because i know i mean as i think i stated last time that the three most popular names are park kim and lee um i've met other koreans and they go sometimes by their family name like somebody calls them by their family name not by their uh their given name and so this you know this person that i know was just lee everyone called him lee and if you think about that there's a lot of probably park lees and kims out there that if if there's other people that do that do you guys know anyone else who goes by their their family name just quickly on that point for park kim and lee over more than 45 percent of the entire korean population uh has one of those three last names so i just wanted Mm -hmm. to throw that in there well we are right here two-thirds because your last name is kim and my last name is lee my sister's last name was Lee too. Or See? so and that's the thing though, that was prop made, given, as we found out last episode, that that was given at the at the orphanage foster family. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. Uh social worker at the thing. So it's very highly likely that my name was actually one of those last three. If you <laughs> right. think about it. Statistically, it's probably Statistically. true. Well, it's funny the comparison, like the most popular US name is Smith. It says right. last name, and that just is almost one percent of the entire U.S. population. Well, I guess, yeah, like yeah, not even one percent. Yeah, huh. um, yeah, and then the family, the most Ru- most common Russian name is Smirnov, making up one point eight percent of Russian. You know, interesting. So, I like yeah. that the book takes a low key dig. It's only a meager one point eight percent. It's just a meager <laughs> amount of, of Russians named Smirnov. I don't know if that was a dig, but I just re- wanted to read it that way. The snobby way, but yeah, that's an interesting. I mean, I I've always been curious about names. I mean, for something that I didn't mention um, last time, the the Lee family name is something that I, I not only kind of adopted a little bit more into my own family, but I decided to uh, name all of my kids uh, having their middle names be Lee. So my all three of my kids have the same middle name, which is Lee, and my wife's actually middle name is Lee. I didn't give her that one; she came with that. <laughs> um, but that, but her 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 uh, her mom's uh, maiden name was Lee. So there's a lot of Lees in our family history, and so when my name of Lee was there, it just made sense to to keep it going. And uh, we also like the short middle names uh, in there, so. It's kind of a fun little factoid for you all. That'll be a good um, trivia question for later for our three episodes. And another episode. thing is, my kids won't be able to make fun of each other about their other middle name too. If you think about it, it's like, oh, your middle name's Andrew or something like that. 
which is what my middle name is right now. But do you have a lot of that growing up? Uh, Your middle my name, sister Andrew? would call me uh, Andy Pandy. <laughs> so I'm sorry, and I hated it. I don't know why, Andy but Pandy. she would call me Andy Pandy, and I just, I just, it was, oh, it was, it was infuriating. But you know, siblings have the power uh, to do things that, like, for whatever reason, just really get under your skin. So that that tracks. Yeah, but here's the part that doesn't make sense: is that her name was Amanda, and so I would always say Amanda Panda, <laughs> and so maybe you know we just would go back and forth. Panda was always being the you know the name of choice. The the I don't know. Yeah. And now I call myself a panda dad, so that's a whole other story. But moving on. You got a whole lot of stuff going on uh, being unpacked right now. <laughs> Nathan, Nathan's past and his name and his We're middle name. Learning all about my past and my middle name and my last name. KJ, what uh, what things have you really been struck by just from this name section? I know that you have a deeper understanding, I think, of just like the Korean language than either Nathan or I. And not I'm not calling you an expert, but I am calling you someone who like understands it and appreciates it in a way that I certainly have not gotten to yet. Just by virtue of being able to read Hangul, what about this has really stood out to you or, or made had you, I don't know, I don't know where I'm going. That stood out. I'm yeah, no, I'm, I mean, I get it. I fortunately, <laughs> none of this section has that much to do with uh, reading Hangul, except uh, the part um, on page 19, the bottom of the paragraph, where it looks like it says Bongwan is actually pronounced Bongguan. Um, that's like the only thing. I was like, oh, okay, interesting. I think the the part of this that's interesting is um, when you get to the next page, the next kind of section. It says, um, "Why do all Korean names have three syllables?" Um, and what does it, then the page after that, what does a Korean name stand for and how can I decode it? Uh, you know, I think that there is such fascination with, especially adoptees. Um, but I'm going to just say, um, Americans who only speak English, uh, and see non-American names are like, Oh, what does your name mean? Or, you know, whatever. And it, it's, it's unique because of kind of adoptees lost culture and lost heritage, you know, that, that we're ripped from. Um, and so one of the things that's fascinating about this is, you know, there's not a lot of diversity in terms of names. And so last name does mean that like you probably are related, but there's this other kind of inner concept. So in the West, when you'd hear like Ulrich von Lichtenstein, um, you know, then it would mean like Ulrich from Lichtenstein. Right. In this, it's all hidden inside of uh, the Hanja, which is the Korean Chinese characters. Um, and so it means like your first syllable uh, is your family name, but then there's also like a where you're from. And then the second syllable can also be like what part of your family tree you're attached to. And then your third syllable uh, oftentimes is the actual like name that you are given. So for example, again, in the West, uh, composer Johann Sebastian Bach, like everyone in his family um, was named Johan. And so like the middle name was the way to distinguish, um, or maybe wait, every one of the family had the name Sebastian, one of the two names, you know? So, uh, like that, the other name was the only way to distinguish like who they were talking about. Right. But when you don't have your paperwork or when you are just given a name, then you literally lose a geographic and ancestral 
place of where you were, you know? So like, I've always been proud that my name, my Korean name is Kang Junte. Uh, I have always loved that. I think it, uh, you know, has beautiful meaning. Um, but then just being like, from what area is my Kang family from, you know, like I was born in Daegu, but like, does that mean that I'm from there or did I just happen to be born there? And what about like, does anyone in my family have June along their, um, you know, their family line? And I always wondered like, why, uh, I was specifically named Junte because like, that's like a pretty uncommon, at least in my experience, you know, I've seen people named June, I've seen people named Tay, uh, but never both combined, you know? And so now kind of being given this full understanding, I'm like, Oh, this is so cool. I love how Korean names work. And it also makes me really sad. I'm like, man, I, that is just a part of my own, you know, genealogy like that. I, I just won't get back because you literally it's kind of like the oral tradition like you have to know otherwise you just won't know you know what particular uh clan quote unquote you're a part of um and then what type of like geographic area you know like there's so many lees or kongs or choys or whatever so yeah that's what stuck out to me that's something that i've been thinking about a lot lately is i've been reading a lot about the hojuk uh, like the family register essentially. And, um, that's something I thought about because especially when our conversation with Zach, you know, we talk about being a father and Nathan, you're obviously a father and thinking about like what me, when I get to that point, like what's one of the first things I want to be able to do. And I think that's something I've been thinking about, especially when it comes to names, like starting that tradition of a hojuk within our own family. So that way we can have something like that because at the end of the day, I'm probably never going to find that. You know, I'm probably never going to find my original birth parents to put my name on, you know, Young Jin Kim, if that was even, <laughs> you know, it is still like my actual birth name that they like or the family name. So, uh, yeah, I just I really resonated with what you said there, KJ. I just think that uh, draws a lot of power from that. And it's it's sad. And but then as adoptees, like, how would we go about reclaiming that? That's like one of the ways that I've been thinking about a lot. I know my my uh, <clears throat> adoptive family does that as well. They actually take a name and it's always passed down um, throughout the family. I'm in uh, some of my family. My dad actually has the same name as my grandfather. Um, in my extended relatives, uh, Robert is used multiple times. I feel that there's at least six Roberts or Bobbies in some form there. And so, yeah, it's it's uh, interesting to to hear how it's used, you know, universally too in Korean culture as well. Um, you know, where a name is passed down at some point. I didn't know that geographically that was uh, something that was um, determined by the name. So that's kind of an interesting, I'm wondering if there's more interesting um, history about my name on where I came now that I know that it's also, you know, given to me by my parents. So yeah, um, that's what I was going to, I was going to ask you in the last episode um, until Yahoo Patrick so rudely interrupted us. (laughs) Yahoo! (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna start doing that now every time. <laughs> Yahoo! <laughs> I hate nice. myself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, to ask them. So it's the concept that Bonguan is uh, says tells the birthplace of the first ancestor or founder of the family names, okay. and then Hunger uh, is the unique by the clan and placement location, which can be the first or second syllable. So it looks like that's the generational name. Um, so Tsung, like maybe someone in your family, you know, Pongguan of Li is named Tsung. And so they're like, oh, we belong to like this line of Li's from this place. Or maybe it's Gil, you know, it's one or the other. So yeah, yeah that's why I think I just, I think it's so, so interesting 
Yeah, so. I think I was born in uh, Seongnam. I don't know. It's right outside of Seoul, but um, I don't know too much about it other than kind of where it is. And I could be completely wrong, but I feel that's what they, they told me last time I met. But I haven't asked them if there was any meaning. Again, my my siblings were all fairly young uh, when I was born. They just know that my mother went to the, the birthing center and then came home with no baby. So an interesting uh, story. Is there anything that I hear now or just, you know, I'm not too sure how uh, um, how accurate they are, or what they were told, I guess, by my parents? Yeah. So uh, that is a brief discussion on Korean names and how they work kind of beyond just, you know, surname and then name, name. <laughs> um so yeah, we have a killer interview with Zach Lubin coming up right after this break. Roll the break. Welcome back to the John Chi Show. The we have wait. I don't remember how we start an interview. <laughs> That's how we do. We're here with a very that, special guest. Is that what we do? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here we are. Interview. <laughs> Great. We are here with a very special guest, Zach Lubin. Uh, in classic John Chu fashion, <laughs> do you like to go by Zach or Zachary uh, or Z Generally, generally Zach. Um, All right, I, I've switched back and forth. Sometimes Zachary, when I'm like writing a paper, or I want to, you know, impress people. I'll go for the full name. But <laughs> yeah, because as we know, more characters in your name means more intelligence in your brain. That's right. Oh That's right. wow! <laughs> wow! You're welcome. Wow, that wow. was. That was straight off the top of the dome. I'm not even mad. <laughs> Why do you go by KJ then? Because <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm real dumb. <laughs> Just going to throw that one out there. Yeah. You were the one who said it. I wasn't going to yeah. bring that up. Nathan's sitting here waiting for that. <laughs> that Amazing. Okay. Could I have asked you how you go before we started rolling? Yes. Did I? No. Classic John Chi show. Um, Zach, will you introduce yourself and uh, talk to us briefly about your adoption story, please? Yeah. Uh, my name is Zach Lubin. I uh, live actually in Malibu, California, which sounds more impressive than it is uh, <laughs> because uh, we actually live on Pepperdine's uh, campus. Uh, my wife works full time for the university. So I always say, people always ask, where are you from? I go, Malibu. Um, and they go, that's amazing. And you're like, yeah, but I'm not like that type of Malibu. I'm the Malibu <laughs> that like walks into stores and doesn't know what to do because they don't have price <laughs> tags, which is terrifying, right? Yeah. Interesting. Um, you're like, I have walked into the wrong place. Right, right. <laughs> is there I a Walmart nearby? People will see me walk in and they go, yeah, let's not even talk to him because yeah. you know, he's not going to buy anything today um, or ever. So live in, in Malibu. I work at a church in LA um, and I've been uh, at that church for about eight years. Uh, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, actually did my undergraduate and graduate work at Pepperdine. I was adopted from Seoul. Um, I was born in 1982. Um, and so I think uh, I was adopted at eight months. So I came over, I, I think my, we called it my special day growing up uh, is February 16th in uh, 1983. Um, and I'm the first of three adoptees that my parents adopted. So I have a, a younger sister and a younger brother who are also adopted from Korea. The story that has been told to me and the more that I read about adoption, the less I'm like, yeah, this is totally the story. It's more like this may be the story or <laughs> yeah. it could be fiction or it could be anything that my birth mother 
was a teenager, uh, and my birth father was in the military who was already married and had a family, um, and so she got pregnant and then lived in, I think, a home for unmarried pregnant women that Holt was running in Korea and uh, then was adopted um, into uh, the family that I've, I've known my entire life um, since uh, 1983, uh, lived in the Bay Area pretty much my entire life and um, have only spent a couple of years outside of California, basically, the entire time. So a little bit of my adoption story. Um, I think personally, I've started doing a lot more reading and thinking about adoption since my child was born. He tur- just turned four in March. And I, I kind of had that moment of like, oh, I got to kind of figure out what I'm going to tell him about being a a son of a Korean American adoptee. Um, and so started thinking about uh, a number of things. And I think you commented on a comment that I put on the Korean American story. And I wasn't going to listen to y'all's podcast because I had already like listened to a bunch of adoptee podcasts. And like you responded, and I was like, oh, I'll listen to them and immediately started listening and have really appreciated uh, your voices and, and have uh, so feel privileged to to talk to the three of you today. Well, thank you very much. The honor is entirely ours. Um, it is it is always exciting to have new people come onto the show. Um, it's always exciting to hear that people actually listen to us. Uh, I don't know. For me, I'm just like we're just three <laughs> three dudes who met via Jerry Wan on an adult play date on Zoom because of pandemic, and then he was like, "Y'all want to do this, uh, but record it?" And I was like. Yeah, I don't hate these guys. So yeah, it's just it's nice to it's nice to have that the validation. Yeah, the first time we all met, it was like this, but less talking and more awkwardness. Yeah, and then we got and then it got better, just kind of like the show. So yeah, funny absolutely. how only one thing in common at first is is enough to pull us together, right? Yeah, what's amazing though is I could have listened to. I mean, I, you could have never said that you had never met in person, and I think I would have believed that you had known each other for years. So I think that's one of the cool things about uh, what you guys are doing. Thanks. Um, so I, I'm, I, I love that you grew up in a household of, of cads. Uh, I think that that's that's such a cool experience. Um, I shouldn't assume this. I'm going to assume this, but I shouldn't assume this. I'm going to ask for clarity. Uh, are your younger siblings younger than you? Like you're the oldest and the first adopted. They didn't like do a thing where like you were the first one who was adopted, but then like the next one they adopted was older than you. So you had like that whole weird switch around. No, I am the oldest of the adoptees. So um, my parent, I, my parents had one child by birth before they adopted me. Um, and we're basically all basically spread out two to three years. So my um, my oldest brother is about two and a half, three years older than I am. I'm about two and a half, three years older than my sister. There's maybe like a three and a half year gap between my my sister and my little brother. So four kids, three of us adoptees from Korea, uh, three white people in my family. Growing up in the 80s and the, the 90s, we got a lot of odd looks. In fact, my mom tells a story about how when I was a baby, she was confronted by a woman in a department store and being accused of kidnapping me and having wow. like this like fight in this department store with a with a woman so had a lot of weird looks when we went out to restaurants a lot of people wondering like hey how is it that there's three and three and how does that all work that's in san francisco uh yeah like the the bay area and Huh. One, one of the things I would say about the Bay Area is it, it does really have a lot of diversity, but there are like definite pockets of like not being diverse. Like I grew <laughs> up 
um, in this small town that was basically, you know, predominantly white. Um, the church I grew up in was predominantly white. So even though I was adjacent to a lot of diversity, just even kind of choices that my family had made, I ended up pretty much feeling like just living in a lot of white spaces. Yeah. So that leads really nicely into my next question. I'm curious, uh, as you were growing up, what was your relationship to being Korean, being Asian American? Um, how was that talked about or not talked about celebrated, not celebrated, um, in your, uh, in your family and just growing up even in your own headspace? It's funny because I think, uh, my mom, uh, died of cancer last year. And so I went up uh, and kind of went through boxes that my, my mom had saved, uh, of my childhood. And I was struck with how much like, uh, stuff from Korea she had, uh, she had bought and had in my box, right. Games and books and, and things like that. I remember her really trying to engage me in that conversation growing up. And we took mm -hmm. trips into San Francisco, um, there was a, a coffee shop owned by a Korean couple in my in my town, uh, and my dad always made it a point to go to that coffee shop and, and to take us there. So we um, knew some other uh, Koreans, but uh, I didn't I didn't really embrace it. You know, it was sort of it was sort of something that I wanted to distance myself from really early on uh, because I think you know you just want to hang out and fit in and anything that kind of made you different. I just sort of interpreted as not being something that I wanted to really lean into. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's, that was true through like my sophomore year of high school. And then I trans, I, I went to a small private high school. I mean, I like, I can tell you that I've lettered in multiple sports and it means nothing. <laughs> yeah. because, like, my, I know my that world school high school was so small. <laughs> and, uh, I, so I went from like a really small private Christian uh, high school to like a massive 2000 plus on the east side of the Bay, which is far more diverse, a lot more, um, you know, first and second generation immigrant families. And I remember having like that moment that I think a lot of uh, adoptees have where I was kind of like the white kids don't know what to do with me. Right. Like like I'm trying to hang out with them. I'm trying to be friends with them. But they're kind of like, like, what's wrong with you and then like the asian kids were like we don't know what to do with you either because you're not asian enough like you don't you don't have any sense of culture i was actually told i, I became friends with a, a a young woman who was um korean like second generation and she like out of the blue one day just was like we can be friends but i will never date you and i was like dang wow, wow. cool i mean i i wasn't trying to date you. <laughs> um, like, thanks. don't flatter yourself, yeah. but also, why? Why would you say that? <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for shutting me down before uh, anything. And uh, and she told me the reason why is I wasn't, I wasn't Korean enough. Like, she couldn't mm. bring me home to her parents. And so, you know, that was sort of the beginning of like, oh, man, like, what does it really mean to be an adoptee and to look Asian um, but not really know how to how to fit in at times and so i still probably didn't lean a, a ton into my asian identity except for uh there's a record label called asian man records in the bay area that does like punk and ska 
and it's run by a guy, Mike Park, out of his mom's garage. And he still runs the record label out of his mom's garage. <laughs> Seems and deeply so, on brand. <laughs> uh, he was this uh, one of the few people that I could be like, yeah, it's cool to be Asian. Like, it's cool to be Korean. You know, like he had all these uh, ska and punk bands uh, that would sing in Korean. And like, that was the only way that I knew how to say thank you in Korean was through this ska song. And so that I had like that sense of pride, but it really was something that I, I, I struggled with in, in, in high school and probably in college as well, trying to figure that out. Yeah. So what, um, I don't know. I feel like at the time that people come on to our show, they have uh, started the journey of like, I'm adopted. I uh, am starting to understand what that means. I'm starting to understand, especially just given the state of the world right now, uh, what it means to be, uh, you know, Asian uh, as a person of color, uh, certainly in America. I'm not going to speak for <laughs> any other country, but um, yeah. So what was that moment where you were just like, oh, I need to beyond just like feeling, um, you know, kind of that push away from being Korean or being Asian enough or whatever. What's that moment when, when you started being like, I need to start wrestling with this and start thinking about these identities that make me up. Yeah. I think it's happened a couple of times, right? And I think that's what I have found true in my story is that there are certain moments where it becomes something that you want to spend more time thinking about. And then maybe that goes away for a period of time and then something else happens. So I think this most recent one was kind of started by um, becoming a dad and really wanting to have that sense of like, well, what, what kind of story am I going to give him um, to help him understand something that I, I felt like I really wanted to do. Probably, though, like 10 years ago, I remember having a conversation with my mom about wanting to start like a, a birth parent search um, and talking to her about that. And at the time, Holt would allow you to put your name on a registry that if your birth parents were looking for you, they could find you. Um, so I, I took that step and put my put my name out there. So I've had that moment. Another moment uh, was even like the first time I went to a doctor and the doctor started asking me, it was like that moment where the doctor asked your mom to leave or your parents leave. And they're like, now we're going to ask you, like you've transitioned to where you get to have a little bit of agency in what you tell your doctor. So he asked me about like my family history and I just told him, right? Like, oh, this is my grandpa and he's had this and da, 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 da. My mom came back in was like, what did he tell you? And the doctor like kind of said, well, he talked about his grandpa and she's like, well, none of that actually counts. <laughs> like, you know, like none of that's actually true for him because, you know, he's adopted. Um, and so from that moment on, like I've always been like, well, I should probably find out like medical history. Right. Like mm -hmm. I should probably uh, do that. So I've done um, DNA testing um, here and there, and I've put that out a, a little bit um, in those terms. But I think really one of the first times I started saying like, oh, I need to identify as Asian or I want to start identifying as Asian was I spent two years in West Texas. And uh, that was like the first time that I was like, oh, man, like this is not the Bay Area. Um, <laughs> you know, this is this is some some crazy racist stuff. And some of it was um, directed my way and my wife's way. Um, my wife is white. And so um, we went from like uh, California where we didn't think anything was really that odd about our marriage to my wife being like hugged by a 
Taco Bell employee when she found out they were married because she was married to a black man. And she whispered in my wife's ear, like us mixed marriages have to stick together. And we were like, what? <laughs> like, yeah. we don't even really like <laughs> understand that in those moments. And that I think started that process of saying, okay, I really want to start identifying more with being um, Asian American and, and Korean um, and trying to understand that more. Yeah. That's, that's a conversation that my wife and I have started having um, especially now, um, you know, cause I started identifying as part of those communities, uh, you know, late 2020. And so now early 2021, we're like, Oh, we are in an interracial relationship and that matters. Um, which is new for our 12 years of history together. We're like, Oh dip, uh, things have changed. So, um, yeah. And especially being a dad, um, I'm curious, um, what, what you have settled on, Nathan, I'd actually just love to, I, I know this isn't your part of the show, Nathan, but I'm going yeah, to have you stay come off on to this part as well. <laughs> don't, uh, bother. don't worry about me. <laughs> I got nothing to say. Come on, Mike. Get on, Mike. But, here. Uh, I'm, come on. I'm curious, as as two dads and, and two um, adoptees, like, what are the parts of Korean history that or culture or whatever, like, what's the first thing that you gave to your children what's the thing that you are uh, most excited about um experiencing and engaging with korean culture with your kids right now uh we'll start with those two questions zach you go first because this is your time nathan (laughs) i'll pray about it yeah i you know i part of the fun is discovering things with him right is this is the first year that we were uh, i was like i really want to celebrate lunar new year and so this is something that is brand new to me, but I'm excited about that. It's not going to be brand new to him, right? Like he's yeah. never not yeah. going to have uh, experience of us talking about that and, and celebrating it. And um, I'm f- like the furthest away from being able to cook anything authentically Korean um, or uh, anything like that. But uh, <laughs> I think just uh, talking to him about it um, and wanting him to, to recognize what it means for me and, being honest with him, I think my, my hope is I want him to know as he gets older that it's okay to not have simple answers to these questions um, because I'm really, I feel that pressure of having the simple answer, but then also recognizing that there's just, there's no simple answer to it. So I want to have an honest conversation with him about that in terms of our relationship. I've, I've definitely sought out friends who are Korean in hopes of kind of their history and ability to kind of talk into some of these uh, traditions. Hopefully they will, you know, help teach him uh, a little bit more than maybe I'm able to do it. I can read a book and kind of be like, here's what this is, but it's just sort of at that point, real, real academic. Um, so those, those are some of the things that I'm, I'm trying to do with him, um, but just trying to even help him understand what it means to be an adoptee and how that means his relationship to even like the Asian American community and other Korean Americans is always going to be shaped by that, that piece of me being, being adopted. So. Mm -hmm. That's great that you're starting that now too. I mean, at an age where he'll remember some of these things, I, my, my son is four, almost five as well. And then I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. So um, for, for the five-year-old, I've definitely wanted to do those same things. I've wanted to introduce him to more Asian culture, more Korean adopt or Korean culture, more um, just stuff about myself and my history, including the adoptee side. Uh, and that's uh, 
for example, you were saying Lunar New Year. We celebrated Lunar New Year this year, and and uh, although I, um, I I do love cooking and everything, I will tell you, dukguk is a very easy recipe to make. You should try that. <laughs> okay. I made it this year for yeah, the first fortunately, time. Fortunately, very easy. And you guys say that all the time, but here so I am failing. <laughs> Dude, okay, it's I know that some people wrestle with boiling water, but <laughs> yeah, can you exactly. boil water? It's all right, pretty all right, easy. All right. <laughs> I could boil and, the water. And no, can I'm, add a I'm frozen dumpling. Some people like are like, make I dumpling. will forget about the water. I'm like, that's that's fair. You know, I, I get that. <laughs> all right, all right. The, the yeah, it's it's basically just boiling water. Yeah, it's super easy. I mean, I think that's a great idea that, like you said, it's introducing them early so that it's not the first time. Like for me, that was the first time I had tukuk, and that was now I'm 44. So my son now can say he had it at 40. And so he'll be a lot more, or hit four. When we're, yeah, sorry, bad math. I was like, wait, I think four? we just time drum. I meant I to say forty years for earlier than I did. So yes, yeah, yeah. that makes um, sense. But uh, one of the things I have a question for you, which is something that I haven't had happen yet, but I'm waiting for it to happen. Um, how is your son's relationship with you, the rest of your family? So um, does he ever say anything like, "Because I haven't had this, but I'm waiting." It's like why? Why do you not look like you know the rest of your family? Um, yeah. And and you know, uh, has that come up at all? Or yeah, we've we like uh, my wife and I talked about that. And one of the things that we've done is we've been really like trying to tell him like, well, I'm adopted, and uh, you know, your your mom is white, and her parents are white, and because I'm adopted, my parents are white, and uh, your uncle is white. Um, but I'm Korean and you are Korean and you are white. Um, and because adoption and, um, we bought a, I just read it last night to him, a book called adopted. Um, and I, I'm reading that with him just so adoption becomes not something that we have to spring on him, but just as part of his normal, normal understanding of who we are as a family. Um, and I feel like that's been, that's been good. You know, we, he kind of unprompted will come up to us and be like, well, I'm Korean like you, Dada, and I'm also white like you, Mama. And we're like, yeah, that's right. And, you know, you're, things like that. And so we're trying to, to have those conversations. So it's not as maybe shocking or he doesn't have to wrestle with that later on. You know, my parents never hid my adoption. And my mom used to tell me, like, even before I was even conscious of it, she was like, it would have been worthless to hide it from you, right? Like even at a young age, like you were at some point going to figure out that you did not look like, you know, your dad and I. And so they were really honest. I don't ever have a memory of not knowing that I was adopted. Yeah, me too. And my mom's blonde. So it would have been a real, <laughs> real shock to think, why is my hair not blonde right. or something like that? But yeah, my wife, it's not too late. You can dye your hair. <laughs> That's true. So my wife is half Chinese, half Japanese. So he sees that aspect of, uh, of our relationship, but then he sees, um, her mom, you know, being Asian, but my mom being blonde so it's kind of a, a a mix and so we do we've done the same thing we we talk about where we're from we show them on a map um and uh just kind of getting them i guess acquainted that there are lots of different um people in the world and there's lots of different places that people can come from but then there's lots of nationalities and um you know not just ethnicities but nationalities and it, they don't always match um so it's uh, yeah it's it's 
going to be an interesting stage right now because he is showing more interest in it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I didn't know if you'd heard anything or, or done something that I could learn from as well. <laughs> well, I think that's, I do think that's really great that you're having those conversations because it just uh, hearing you talk about that made me think about um, how my, when I was growing up, like, because of the way my voice sounds and like my way my voice developed and people would always think I was my dad on the phone. But then because I'm also <laughs> tall, they would always, and my dad is six, four, uh, my adoptive father. And he, I'm not trying, but that's the thing though, but it yeah. just made me think about like how people would be like, Oh yeah, Lucky. you're tall. Like your dad and never thinking like, wait a minute, but I didn't get that from him. But it's being like, like accepting that and being like, oh yeah, right. you know, ha Yeah, just thinking about how that was like <laughs> probably messing me up in a not good way, like internalizing that, but just because I didn't have those conversations, you know? So that's why, that's why I brought that up. Not for laughs at my tall dad, but <laughs> because I just think it's really great I you're having those conversations. Like Maybe your genetics were like, <laughs> I need to be taller. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I do got to like say something real quick. It, so it must be true. <laughs> um, I have a big lag in the video. So when I said that, I heard you guys laugh, but you were really serious. Your faces were stone serious. And I was like, <laughs> did that joke not land? I was like, did that not land? <laughs> and then you guys started talking and laughing. And I was like, oh, okay, it's great. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I wasn't trying to be so serious. Uh, but yes. Long story short, Zach, great you're having those conversations. Long, KJ. Long story short, Patrick's tall. <laughs> yeah. We get it, Yahoo Patrick. Jeez. Okay. Uh, Stop with that. So, okay. So I'm curious about this next part. And so you you filled out, when you filled out a card, it was uh, mid-February that you filled out um, kind of our, our intake survey. Um, and you said right now that the most important part of your story was to better understand what it means to be a Korean adoptee in relation to the Asian American community and just kind of some greater conversations about racism. Um, and adding into that, the tension of, uh, of working for a church or being a minister, um, and you threw out um, Han as a fascinating way to think about the wound and trauma of adoption. Um, February was a long time ago uh, from where we are right now. Uh, so I'm, I am curious to hear um, if you remember, like, what was fascinating you at the time and what is eating at your brain right now? Like, what are you thinking about wrestling with with some of those big topics? Yeah, it's it's been interesting recently. I uh, I actually did a, a reflection for a prayer chapel at Pepperdine the Friday after what took place in Atlanta um, and sort of wrestling with that. And um, feeling at times really vulnerable and awkward about that being an adoptee um, and really wanting to like name I'm an adoptee. And so um, I think there's both strengths to that and limits and how um, and what I'm able to say and speak into certain um, situations and recently did um, a presentation for some professionals at Pepperdine as well, talking about what's going on with the anti-Asian racism and violence. And again, um, speaking about this idea of okay, I'm a Korean American adoptee and I want to own that. And there are some of you who are Asian Americans, you know, second generation, first generation immigrants. And so let's at least let me be aware of that and try to, instead of speaking just as an Asian American, really trying to, to own that in terms of hopefully having good conversations. One of the things I've been struck with is you mentioned Han as I've been trying to uh, think about that. And for me, the, the concept was really helpful and it helped me recognize my adoption as being part of a larger system of unjustness that predated my adoption, right? And so I could be really angry at 
the people specifically who are involved in my adoption, or I could also then recognize that it's part of a larger system. And my adopted parents had nothing but love in their in their hearts when they adopted me, and not really probably the ability to recognize that they were participating in this really complicated, complex system that predated them by, you know, my adoption by 30 years. And so that kind of helped me understand that, um, that concept of Han being generational and it being unresolved systematic trauma and woundedness that can then also affect us personally. Um, so that's been really helpful in, in my thinking. As a minister, I got to tell you, I'm convinced that American churches have to pay attention to the idea of Han, especially if they want to have any ability to talk about racism and uh, white supremacy, uh, because the church really needs to recognize that they can't simply say, God's forgiven me. Um, they actually need to actually go out and do some hard work of reconciliation. Um, and so I've been trying to speak that in certain situations when I can to people who will who will listen. And again, I work for a church that's predominantly, the tradition that I work for is predominantly white. So it's been interesting to to think in, in those terms. Recently, I've been thinking about like the model minority myth and the way that that's being played out right now, even with some of the, the violence and the conversations between some of the assailants being black and how um, we're trying to wrestle with that and the fact that that's built on some of that model minority myth. Um, I was struck and I was reading a book uh, the other day about how in adoption, it was easier for people to adopt Koreans than it was for them to think about adopting African-American babies. And I thought like, like I, my adoption by definition is the model minority myth, right? Like there was this myth that somehow I was more, I was going to assimilate better. I was going to perform better. I was going to be a better adoptee than an African-American baby. And I was just, I was just struck with that. And I haven't really thought deeply about what I want to do with that idea or what I want to, how I want to maybe think about it or where that will lead. But um, that's kind of where I'm in some of the, some of the thinking and, and reflecting upon what's going on. My head's about to fall off from just nodding in agreement with you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that was great. That's something that I've been thinking about. The model minority myth too lately is how, you know, it's a, a tool to use to pit communities of color against each other, historically the Asian community and the black community. Um, and also thinking about it, I've been thinking about it in this term, specifically as an adoptee, how it can pit specific communities against themselves as you segregate the community like brown Asian Americans or the LGBTQI community or adoptees. And then like adoption specifically, I've come to look at it as like the model within the model, because that's how you can, an adoptee can go feeling, being afraid of, uh, of being accepted, which is Han at play, you know, a loss of identity, this ex extreme yeah. sense of longing and, and emotion. And then, um, but then like, because of our proximity to whiteness or for most of us, essentially, um, growing up with perceived success or perceived like ability to climb the ladder faster than even another Asian, uh, a first or second generation Asian American, you know, so um, really glad that you brought that up just because that's been something I've been thinking a lot too. Um, and I, I think it's funny because while we've been talking here, I looked back and you sent your first message to the show in November, uh, November 30th. So I just really enjoyed hearing you talk about how you've processed even from February to now. Um, but thinking about how we've come from that point from even then to now. So 
the fact that we're just all talking about these things is both great and sad at the same time. I'm done. <laughs> I'm getting the uh, frozen. Thank I can't you. tell if you guys are, are hearing me. I hate it. I hate it. You guys are like, I hate it. It looked like you're like, I hated everything he just said. <laughs> That's what it looks I like. I don't know. I So I work for a church. It is uh, predominantly white. It is... Um, technically denominationally like a mainline church but theologically and culturally acts more just like a protestant evangelical church which if you're listening to this and you don't know what any of that means just think of white church in america you've nailed it on the head um so that's that's who i work for um you know post george floyd's death um we were told uh well my lead pastor said uh that our church is quote unquote, apolitical. We just don't talk about politics, right? Um, we were told not to talk about politics on social media and all of these things. And I was just, I was struck by looking back because even then I had no idea what the model minority is. Um, and the more Asian my internet spaces have become, the more I hear about this idea of model minority. Um, and I think, uh, Patrick and Nathan, I think we were talking about this um, earlier today before we were recording, just about how uh, being Asian in America is already a niche demographic, right? That's like uh, 6% of all Americans. Um, and then being adopted uh, Korean inside of being Asian American is an even more niche category, you know? Um, so it's it's things that that feels so loud to us and that feels so important. And like, we just can't stop seeing it because uh, the Instagram algorithm is just like, yeah, this is, these are the accounts we follow. So these are all the things we hear about, you know, and, and um, just recognizing that we do live in this echo chamber. I'm just like, man, it is hard to break out of the model minority myth when other people don't even realize it's going on. Uh, when other people don't even realize like why I literally cannot be apolitical because that is used against me and against other BIPOC fellow people, fellow human beings, you know, um, other marginalized communities, right. To hold them down. And I'm like, I, I literally can't do this. And so, yeah, that's, that's really frustrating. Um, Zach, you and I have had, uh, a number of conversations, um, about kind of the, the church and, um, racism and intersectionality and things like that. And I know that you come from a different tradition and also um, not to make this a, a Christian podcast because that would take up a whole other, honestly, that's a whole other podcast. Um, there are other podcasts you could follow and talk to you about that. But I'm curious. Um, one of the things that I realized is early on in my history, I was like, Oh, I've had no specifically um, Asian American uh, Christian heroes, Christian leaders to look up to. Um, and part of that I think is my own trepidation at stepping into, uh, the Korean American church. And, and like, that's just a whole other world that, you know, before when I was gatekeeping myself, I was like, nah, that's terrifying. Um, but I'm curious, um, as someone just from where I've seen in your journey of, uh, going out and, and being loud about the, the process of reconciliation, um, truly believing that, you know, faith without works is dead and you should like go into the world and be the hands and feet of Jesus and actually love people. Like we say that we are supposed to, um, who are there people that, um, that have been helpful to you who are Asian American, maybe who are adopted American, not necessarily transracially, but you know, like who are some people that, um, that you're listening to or, or hearing about who kind of represent some intersectionalities for us to, to look to. Yeah. Um, it, I actually got to hear, um, uh, Dr. Soong Cha Ra 
Um, and uh, he's actually uh, just come out to Pasadena and is on staff now at Fuller Seminary. He came and talked and he challenged uh, everyone who was listening to him. He was like, look, you got to look at your bookshelves. And if you aren't reading BIPOC authors, then you need to start. Um, and that was like, I was like, oh, I should go look at what I'm reading. Like, how am I preparing like lessons and, and teaching in church? And I was like, oh yeah, I do just have a lot of like old dead German guys on my bookshelf. Cause that's <laughs> like, if you're not, if you're not like, if you don't do theology, like you're like, what? But like Germans and yeah. old dead Germans are kind of the people you read. It's a lot of Bonhoeffer um, and yeah. so I, <laughs> some uh, British guys. I was like, oh, I got to start. So um, I started reading a guy named Andrew Sung Park. And he has a book called The Wounded Heart of God. And it's actually his theological argument for Han um, for American churches. Um, wow. And he also wrote a book on uh, racial reconciliation. There's a, another ethicist, Dr. Kiju Choi, or Che, I've been told is how we pronounce his name. And uh, I've been reading him. Hold on. Sorry, guys. Would you like to say hi? <laughs> no, you're good. Okay. What do you need, bud? He said no. I'll get you a snack in a little bit. Work from home, man. It's, it's, it's <laughs> that's the life. That's the life. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote a book called Discipline by Race. Um, and, and one of the things that he does in that book is actually like cite fictional authors. And so I've gone back and uh, read like um, a number of those books. Um, and so those are some people that I've read. Dr. Grace Ji Soon Kim has written. Um, she's a, a Korean American theologian um, and she's been great. Um, she wrote a book, a real easy reader on intersectionality, um, which is is a great read and, and writes from a Korean American perspective. And so there's there's like a, a part of me that's really like, oh, I really like that, but it's also difficult at times because they're not being written from an adoptee standpoint. So there is still a little bit of that foreignness yeah. to to that. Like I read um, about Minjung theology, which is the liberation theology from Korea. Oh. Those are all people that I've read and, and, and contextual theology, which kind of, there are a lot of people who are even doing readings with uh, Confucian readings and comparing them to scripture and finding ways to kind of have those conversations. And um, Dr. Kim, her, her study is on the Holy Spirit. And she's really argued that there should be a lot better uh, in a religious dialogue because most world religions have some category of the spirit. And so she thinks there's commonality that we can um, work from. I hope I'm getting her idea right. If not, then I apologize, Dr. Kim. <laughs> if you didn't say yeah. that, nobody would have known because I thought it was right. <laughs> it sounded, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sounded great. <laughs> I mean, I'm maybe they would have missed it because they're listening at two and a half X. Yeah, yeah maybe. Hopefully. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's what I'm hoping. Yeah, I'm always, I'm always fascinated. You know, it's, it's one of those things where uh, I think if you are – Born in America, you are at least you grow up adjacent to the language of Christian mythology. You know, like there is no getting away from Jesus as a, a you know as a figurehead. There's no getting away from like the Genesis story. You know, it just it is it's baked into the very fiber of our nation for better or probably for worse. Um, and so there's there's just a lot of you know like for me as someone who still professes to be Christian, you're like how do I, uh, be a Christian and not also be a terrible person? <laughs> uh, you know, how do I, how do I be a Christian and also not be a white colonizer? How do I be a, you know, a Korean American, uh, and an adoptee, you know, and, um, so like, you, you know, like just from its base optics, you're like, Jesus was a good person. And none of his followers seem to be that good. What's up with that? You know? Um, 
So just, I don't know. I just, I think that that's a, it's an important thing. Um, it's important, I think for us as adoptees to realize, uh, and to remember, you know, like for as much work, uh, as is going on between the black and white, um, racial spectrum, um, there is a third, a fourth, a fifth racial spectrum. You know, um, I, when I was in high school, I would go around being like, y'all, Jesus is Asian, you know, and was like, so proud to call him Asian, uh, because he, he was, I mean, that's West, West Asia that he lived in, you know? And then like literally just the other week, I was like, Oh dang, that means Mary was Asian too. And like, just thinking about like how different that changes things for me to be like, to the Virgin Mary, who is like the epitome of a white woman as she is portrayed, you know, just like in our kind of cultural zeitgeist, you're like, oh, that changes some things, you know, when if a, a picture today of the Virgin Mary looks like somebody that someone else, some white person assumes is a terrorist, you know, or some white person assumes is a Muslim or some, you know, and that's, uh, that just causes some real cognitive dissonance that I think is important to, to go on. Um, I think the Christianity thing too, sorry, is like really interesting because I think like anecdotally, I think so many of the people that I've met who are Korean adoptees were predominantly like adopted into like right, middle yeah. class white Christian families, right? Mm-hmm. So even our narratives and the way that uh, America specifically in the Cold War was kind of conflating and, and you're seeing that now with Christian nationalism, right? What's going on with, with all of that is um so i even think that is such a an interesting um and i i i hope people are writing about it or actually like really seriously like deconstructing it or being critiquing it because i think it needs to um but even like in our like for my own story like i was adopted into a white christian family right so whether or not i if i you know walk away from that faith or not it is part of my identity um, part of an identity that I had at some point. And so even from that standpoint, you can't, America can't really get away from the mythology, but even for a lot of adoptees, it's so built into how we were adopted and what stories we heard about our adoption. You know? Yeah. It literally takes up language for us, you know, like that just, that is like come around Christmas time or like Sundays or whatever, you know, like there are so many traditions and like, we've already been ripped away from one culture. Like it's, it's hard to consciously choose to leave, you know, another culture for, for the ones who are adopted into Christian families. I know that there are some who are adopted into Jewish families or other faith traditions or no faith tradition, whatever. But yeah, it is predominantly, um seem to be christians so yeah i just thought that that's an interesting avenue to talk about for a later podcast um <laughs> but as as a fellow church worker i was excited to talk to you briefly about that um so where are you looking i guess what are you looking forward into uh as you wrestle with all of your intersexual identities you know um is a trip to korea on the books, have you been back to Korea already? Uh, you know, what's what's kind of the next step in your journey of understanding your identity? I was uh, I was supposed to get a sabbatical, like a three month sabbatical from the church in uh, 2020, uh, and I was building building it around uh, going to Korea, like taking uh, my family to Korea. We were going to go through the Holt uh, family uh, program that they that they have, so that's all on hold for, I don't know, however long it takes for the entire world to get vaccinated at this point. Um, but I did, I actually just recently contacted Holt, uh, for copies of my adoption files, um, and for them to actually assess whether or not a parent search is possible or what that might look like. 
So um, I'm kind of taking those those steps and really just exploring that. Like uh, like I said, I have my DNA test and I've, I've put that in a couple places, but it's not something that like I check every day. You know, it's something that every now and then I'll look into it. And um, I think one of the things that I realized is that this is a like an ongoing process. So it's going to be there for me whenever I want to pick it up or whenever I have the energy to really spend time doing it. And the best I can maybe do. (laughs) Right? Exactly. uh, Oh, the best thing I can do at this point is uh, just put myself in the best position to have the information when and if I need it. And so we'll see what the, I, the results I get. I'm wondering if like part of it is like, I'm just going to play cool and like pretend like I don't care. So I'm not super disappointed <laughs> when I don't get the information that I want or don't even maybe consciously think that I want. So, um, but I'm looking forward to those things. I am looking forward to a trip to Korea. I'm, I'm wondering if it wasn't a, a good thing that it was delayed as I've thought about trying to fly with a, he would have been three and a half at that point, and then trying to do that trip with a three and a half year old. Yeah. Um, maybe a couple of years, not a bad idea to get him a little bit uh, older for that trip. Um, and do it now when you have one, because yes. before you might know it, you have two, and then you'll be like me. Yeah, and then it gets more complex. My, and then you'd be my like dreams me, of so. going back to Korea with all my family are. <laughs> A lot further away. <laughs> you have two kids, and then you turn into Nathan on the third kid. You just Nathan. Because that, uh, that plane ticket just triples. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't. I couldn't even, couldn't even imagine. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I'm, it is on my list, and I've always wanted to do a trip to Korea. Um, I'm excited to, to do that and, and have that experience at some point. But then, um, yeah, just doing a lot of reading, trying to, again, uh, that's something that I um, enjoy doing. And so I'm trying to read more about adoption and um, am possibly thinking about trying to pursue like a PhD in intercultural studies. Yeah. Um, and, and specifically looking at the idea of adoption, adoptees being a fourth culture um, and what, what that might look like again, from a, from a theological perspective. And I haven't really fully thought through what, what my um, pitch to the program would be in terms of a dissertation, but um, that's kind of where I'm, where I'm thinking and what I'm, what I'm looking at at this point. That's awesome. Perfect. Dr. Zachary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Zach, I really appreciate you hanging out with us. It's been really great to get to know you over these last few months. Um, that picture hanging on your wall behind you, uh, is that something? Could you talk about that? It's just been, I've just been keep seeing it, and I just wanted you to describe it uh, just briefly for our audience. So uh, for the for our listeners, there's a picture hanging up on, on the wall right behind Zach. It's got a lot of colors, a lot of motion and movement going on. I just wanted him to quickly describe that for me uh, and then for you guys as well. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, it's an original piece by my son, um, done with watercolor, uh, given to me. I think it was maybe a pretend birthday that I was having um, when he when he painted it and and gave it to me. And so, uh, in a work from home situation, I I put it up there because it's it's better to look at than my face sometimes. Um, at least that's what I think when I'm teaching my undergraduates on Zoom. I just like I teach a three hour course and they just have to look at my face for the entire time as I talk to them about like the Old Testament and they turn their cameras off and I hear like um, Netflix being played in the background because they haven't muted their their Zoom yet or anything like that. So. 
I, uh, I this was funny. I actually literally had a kid fall asleep in Zoom. Like I saw him lay down on his bed and sleep <laughs> for the three out, like the full time of class. He thought he had turned his camera off. And at one point we had a break where I, I shouted his name really loudly through Zoom and like awoke him up. And he was like, oh, I'm sorry. I missed the beginning of class. And I was like, man, you've missed like two thirds of it. Like at this point, bud. So, yeah. That's amazing. And, uh, that's my, you see, he's kind of hanging on the corner. That's my, my son, Jude. Hey, Hi, dude. You can't hear us. Hey, Jude. Yeah, that's a, a great, great photo. Um, Zach, if people want to keep up with your journey and your future steps and things, hang out with you, chat about Christianity or Liverpool Football Club or whatever else, uh, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, on Instagram, I'm at ZJ Lubin um, and Zachary Lubin on Facebook. I had to delete Twitter for my mental health at the beginning of the pandemic, I just was like in such a bad space. I was like, I can't, I can't get on Twitter and read anymore. Anything like that. I'm also, uh, an avid Peloton, uh, Ooh. user. And you so go, if you want to follow me on Peloton, I'm <laughs> at Asian man, 82. Asian man, 82. All right. Yeah. If you, you help, uh, prom- uh, motivate me to get on it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah. I've had it for I, four uh, months and, uh, Use it for two months. Okay. <laughs> so now that I know there's two people on there, we've been thinking about getting one. Emily and I have been talking about it, so I might have to join. I write it basically every every day. I'm on it for like 30 minutes, probably at least. So I'm a big, big fan of it. So. I look at All it right. every day. Yeah. Peloton, sponsor us, <laughs> baby. Look at it for 30 minutes every day. Yeah, Nathan, you got to get on it so Peloton will be our sponsor. Okay. That'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Work. I'll work on that. <laughs> that was a hard. I'm not working on it. No, I'm. Uh, he's like, I'm about to move. <laughs> it may never make it out of storage. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, Zach, thank you so much for hanging out with us. We are going to take a break, and when we come back, we will be diving into a food and or drink of Korean origin, probably. <laughs> All right. We'll be right back. We are back for the food portion of this program, the John Patrick's G Show. Back. Um, Patrick's back. Back again. Back, back again. again. With a snack. Tell, Tell your a friend. friend. <laughs> Eminem, eat your back. heart out, baby. <laughs> we stand you back. <laughs> uh, what, are we, what are we eating today, guys? What do we got here? Crown. What's it We're say? We're eating crowns. We're eating That's all I can tell it says. This crown. It says crown... Potato? Crown <laughs> Saranghe? It says, I can't no. read Hangul. It says, Crown Podo. Podo. Chizu Tartu. Chizu means cheese. Yes, it does. Tartu. Tartu means tart. Do yeah, it does. Crack? See, it's oh. like a game of Balderdash. I got it. And if cheese I just sound tart. like I'm confident in what I'm translating, then you'll believe me. Better than me. Uh, fun fact, this is written with the the double B up and the double D good, which mm-hmm. I think is sung B up and sung D good. And those are always really hard for me to pronounce because it's like you want to put enough emphasis on the B and D sound that they mm-hmm. sound firm, but not so firm that it moves into P and T territory. So it's somewhere between soft B and D and Hard B and D, but not too hard B and D. So, mm. Korean yeah. lessons by KJ. There you go. It's very difficult. That hurts my brain inside yeah. and outside. <laughs> and on the cover of this is a little guy wearing a 
scarf and cheese and a fox. So I'm showing it to the camera and we're not recording video. So just ignore <laughs> you don't that have to part. tell everyone. <clears throat> but I explained what it was. Yeah, it's, yeah, it looks like a nice little cracker. Oh, let's crack into it. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm not going to be here the next episode. <laughs> oh, you're taking that one off? Yeah, well, just, I'm going to need a break from Jeff. Nathan. Jeff's going <laughs> to appreciate that one. Jeff will love that. So. Jeff, we Ooh. love you. Okay, I can't open it, but it smells delicious. All right, so these it, are okay. like very it Ritz. Smell good. Like, it looks like a Ritz cracker with cheese in the middle. So this is what mine looks like. Looks Mm -hmm. like broken. You don't have to show us again because we're not recording video. Thank you for showing me my own cracker, though. For the listeners, (laughs) mine is broken. It looks like it's been dissolved by rat acid. And I don't know why I said rat acid. Cut that out. Cut that out. (laughs) It looks like it's been dissolved by something that I can't tell. It's like a Ritz. It's very Very cheesy. I can smell the cheese. Mm -hmm. Very buttery. I actually, mm. if I was blindfolded, I would think it's a Ritz, not to, not to throw in a. This makes me want the mini ones. Those are my favorite. Oh yeah, those are good. I think it's sweeter than a Ritz, though. A tad. Yeah, he said there was a buttery taste. I can taste yeah. like a buttery. It's good though, and this the is cheese good. is not too overpowering. It's not yeah. like it's a smelly cheese. Not like a, you know, too too fake of a cheese. It's just kind of. Slight hint of cheese in there. Not a stinky cheese. It's, uh, <laughs> yes. Luckily for me, sorry, Patrick, mine was not too broken up and crumbly, so I do not have a huge mess. Yeah, dude, take and it am, easy with your packages. Jeez. I am, I am, yeah, I'm, I'm pulling a Patrick, and I'm just putting the whole thing in my mouth. <laughs> is that not how you've been eating? That's not. That's how you're supposed to eat these. Uh, I will say, actually, there is. A, I think it's Korean barbecue. If you get like lettuce wraps, the goal, like, it's a huge old thing of lettuce. And you are supposed to fill it up with just enough so that you can wrap the lettuce fully around it and eat it in one bite. Did you just drop your snack? <laughs> Nathan, do you hate doing this? <laughs> well, I just made comments about how clean it was, and I just dropped it all over the floor. <laughs> I really threw it on the ground. And how crumbly it is just went everywhere. Yeah. Did it just crumble everywhere? It did. <laughs> <laughs> So some caution required. Um, but no. So what I was gonna, what I was saying was about eating this in one bite. Um, so I, the only time I've had Korean barbecue was in Korea with my family. We met up with my foster mom is in Daegu, and um, she was making us wraps, and it was very sweet of her. And my mom, being American, she would like bite into it, you know, like but only eat like half of it because she didn't want it to go all the place. And my foster mother was like, no, you got to eat this all in one bite. And it was like kind of intimidating because it had like a lot of extra lettuce out, but like the bite itself was pretty small. And I was like, oh, I can do that. So I I mean, I did that. Um, but I think that is kind of a, a cultural thing with Korean food is depending obviously on the type of food, like it is like a one bite kind of thing, you know, and like you just plan on it and eat this all in one bite so yeah, i'm gonna Nathan, say i've been doing it korean the whole time you're doing korean nah. style you didn't even know it <laughs> well, just an idiot i, <laughs> I, I so. do like the fact Take that it a easy, korean, korean barbecues give you scissors because that's the first thing that when i yeah. first went to a korean barbecue i was like they're giving this a huge chunk of meat and i don't have any utensils except the chopsticks are they red handled scissors but then they give you scissors and so you can cut the meat into bite-sized pieces and then yes throw it in lettuce throw it in a rice wrap Mm-hmm. Whatever you need to, so it's one bite. So, which, as um, we all know from famous Korean film, always be my maybe. Yes. <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, there's a Minari too. They she uses a red handle. Oh scissors. yeah, that's actually that's actually true. That is Minari. actually a famous yeah. Korean film. No, I, I have we have scissors. Well, American we, film. We use the scissors featuring all the Korean time, Americans. So. You guys have them, yeah. 
Yeah, we use them all the time. They're great. And we only use them for food. No cutting mm. paper. If I start cutting anything other than food, my wife will yell at me. <laughs> Understandable. They're only yep. for food. All right, so how many how many pieces of cheese out of five <laughs> do you give the crown cheese? Cheese. Cheese. Tarta. 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 Oh my gosh, our pronunciations are so bad. Thank you, I'm sorry. Chiju Yep. Because I think of it's Japanese too. Just go like, yeah. Chiju Tarato. Yep. Crushed it. Leveled up to 0.5. Heyo, Kwaiting. Kwaiting. I'm going to give this a sweet Daso, which I think is five. I'm really bad with Korean numbers. Yes. Um, Daso out of Daso. Five out of five. Five out of five. Interesting. No comments about it. Just five out of five. Oh, I'm I'm about to get into it. Nice. Okay. The first thing that struck me was it has a little like powder on the outside of it, which I think is actually like extra powdered cheese. So not only is it like Mm. a little powdery with the cheese on the outside, then it's got a super buttery cracker and then more cheese on the inside this is great as a person who loves savory things it's got just a sweetness that lifts it and elevates the whole flavor it's perfect five out of five you're selling it for me you're making me want to eat the ones i dropped on the floor again i mean i don't know why you haven't <laughs> yeah you fool i don't know how i'm gonna I'm 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 be over there in 10 i'll be there in 10 <laughs> I agree, Ten though. Days. I think it was it was really good. I will give it a five out of five as well. I love Ritz crackers. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to eat those crackers that had the uh, the ch- cheese crackers with the peanut butter on the inside. Mm-hmm. I love those Ooh, crackers. Yeah. So I'm gonna say I, these I'm are better for, though. I'm all for crackers in a package with something inside it. <laughs> I like that the crackers in a package with something. You know, inside. not just the Ritz. It's it's Ritz plus more, and this is Crown crackers plus yeah, more. Yeah, this is Podo. Hey, Crown, more. get Nathan out here for your slogans. It's not just Ritz. It's Ritz plus more. That's a great <laughs> slogan. I love it. <laughs> that uh, I got to round it out with a, a five, too. How do you say it? What is it in Korean? Dasot. 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 Yep. Dasot. Dasot. Yosot. I'm going to give it five. Uh, your guys' descriptions really put it over the top for me. Uh, it was a great cheese cracker. Um, it made me actually want to go buy, I like the cream cheese and chive crackers. I don't mm-hmm. know if you ever had those, like the Nabisco uh-huh. ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but this weirdly made me think of those and now made me want them. So anything that makes me crave something else, definitely it's a good rating <laughs> for, for me. Um, Patrick loves to eat. <laughs> yeah, don't remind me. Um, I did just want to <laughs> say though, I haven't heard KJ give such a rave review of a I snack in a while. Either. Uh, that's because it, it hasn't we've so mostly good. been eating sweet things that's for true. a long time true. so that's true this is one that's like oh yeah baby cracker maybe it's like the butter maybe you don't like sweets you just like butter i you mean I, I, yeah savory, i mean savory over sweet yeah definitely definitely savory over sweet actually if this had like a little bit of saltiness to it though like just some like salt Ooh, crystals yeah. which i think i, I, I think, think that's the difference that. i think that's the difference between like a ritz cracker uh, or like an American package or versus this one, whereas this one had like little cheese powder on top. An American thing would have had like big old salt crystals that you would have had on it. Oh, you know? yeah. So that's that. was that. Nathan. Yeah. I heard him whispering, mm. where's the salt? <laughs> I did. I did think back to salt. <laughs> I, almost, I almost thought about how much better these would be if I just added a little dash of salt on the outside. <laughs> Allison, <laughs> I I don't worry, salt. Crown, I won't. Oh, these saltang yeo. 
And I, I think eat. I did it in two languages. That's exciting. Nice. I can I'm really trying, guys. I'm I'm really trying to keep up with Korean. It's hard, man. You're doing great. <laughs> I'm sure it is. But uh, thank you, you Crown, for making some ago. good crackers. And yes. uh, and thank you. This was actually our last item out of the munch uh, munch attic. Addict. Korean snack box. Korean snack box. box subscription. Do it. It's, yes. uh They got all kinds of stuff. I actually left them a review recently, and uh, I really like their their uh, um, subscription service. I might, I might get some more of them when I get to uh, to Colorado. So, um, but yeah, you can check them out munchaddict.com. But thank you, and for anyone listening, you can find us at John Chi Show on all channels and podcast locations. You can email us at the John Chi Show at justlikemedia.com. You can. I'm taking over KJ's job because he normally does. That was good. That was perfect. He's giving me a nod. You can uh, do Facebook. We got uh, after party. We're giving away stickers. Not to be a spoiler alert, but come on, <laughs> join us at the Facebook after party. We've got uh, all kinds of stuff potentially now working on our new page of merchandise. <laughs> Our store is up, is what Nathan is trying to say. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was looking like, at KJ to see if he was going to jump in on that forever. one. Since he did. No, I was like, you got it, man. Got it. Oh, on okay. our new KJ life. did a great job. He he made our, our, our merch store, and uh, so we have a lot of really good stuff on there that we're we going to expand. We got merch. We got merch. So we got please come, come check it out. JohnCheeShow.com backslash store. Is that, is that right? It is? Or is it, is is it a store or shop? I thought it was store. Support. Well, I'm going to find out. I legitimately don't remember. Why are we on air? Oh, I can pause. Okay, you can support the show at johncheeshow.com slash support, uh, which will have links to if you want to um, sponsor the show by buying us a snack, you can do that. Uh, you can become a member there. You can get some merch, uh, which is stickers Woo-hoo. and maybe some more stuff. Uh, our store is officially open, which is so, so exciting. Uh, it Good will job, be- KJ. Uh, sent out across the United States and no other places for Wear now. A shirt unless with the John Chi logo. Yeah, unless somebody is like, I want a shirt and I live in Canada. And we're like, all right, we'll figure it out for you, person. <laughs> uh, we'll figure it out for you, John Chi people, because we care about you and love you. So please take a moment and leave a rating review on Apple Podcasts that helps us get found, helps Apple be like, oh, hey, these guys uh, are worth promoting. So please do that. Oh, if you want to, you can follow us personally on our... Ugh. Just spat <laughs> everywhere. On our ugh, spat. <laughs> you can find us at... Ugh. <laughs> if you want to, you can. If you want to follow us personally, um, you can follow us on our social media handles. I am at KJ Relke, wherever I want to be found on the interwebs. I am at Patrick in the World on Instagram and at P Armstrong on Clubhouse. I am N Nowak on Instagram and Nathan Nowak everywhere else. Yeah, and uh, send a prayer or good vibes or a thought or a DM or whatever to Nathan who is moving and or in the middle of unpacking or living in his parents' basement. Who knows, man? <laughs> but his life is his life is turned upside down. So send him some good vibes when you hear this. In a good way, um, though. Yeah, that's why I said good vibes. The John Chi people... Junchy people, they know they know what I'm saying. I'll be listening this listening to this episode while driving through Utah. Hey yo. <laughs> hey. All right. Yo. So until next week, we will see you next time. <laughs> I don't know how whatever. Until next what? week, we'll see you next time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see you. I don't know time. how this works. Until next week, next Junchy Hey yo. Stop. <laughs> 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 <laughs>